Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue, just west of the Cherryvale Mall. Now here's Pastor Marty Pierce with today's message. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to, to preach to you guys this morning. I'm going to be preaching to you um, on the subject of love delivers, uh, maybe even a subtitle, love is sometimes uncomfortable. Um, so we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus chapter two. If you don't know where Exodus is, just go to Genesis and flip a few pages and you'll get there. Okay. Um, it's, it's very close to the front of the Bible. So, uh, be easy to find today. And again, I want to welcome those who are watching uh, this morning online with us today and uh, glad to have you in service with us this morning. Let's read this passage together. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God new. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you know us where we are. Thank you that you know every situation that we're walking through. And God, thank you that you have a plan to get us out of those things and deliver us to the next phase that you want us to be in. I pray you bless the reading of the word this morning. And as I preach today, I pray you'd open our hearts to receive what the spirit is speaking to your church this morning. And we're careful to thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Anybody ever been in a situation and you thought, why hasn't God intervened? You ever been in a spot where you just go, I don't even know if God knows I'm here. And frankly, I'm not sure he cares. Anybody ever felt that way? Just me? Okay. Maybe you thought, I just wish God or somebody would do something. I wish that he would make a resolution to what I'm walking through. I wish he would just, just do something. We're going to look at some historical context of the timeline of Moses' life. And we're going to explore how God did some things. Okay? The book of Exodus is essentially just a continuation of the story of Genesis. You get to the end of Genesis. Joseph has uh, led his uh, family, brought them to Egypt where he'd been at. They'd been in the middle of a famine. They provided for all the needs of the people. And Joseph says at the end of his life, at the very last part of chapter 50, he says, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then in verse 25, he made them promise that they were going to carry his remains back to the promised land. So there was already an expectation for Joseph, we ain't staying long. I'm, going to, I'm getting ready to die, and, and y'all are going to have a, a service for me, but don't bury me here. I don't want to stay here. 
I don't want this to be the place of memorial for me. And my place is back where God, the land that God gave to our, our people. And many of us, we get in a place where God takes us to in a spot and we go, I'm planting right here. When God has another place that he's designed for you to be ultimately. So I want to talk to you this morning about our comfortableness. Joseph had an expectation that, those, that the people, his family, were not supposed to get comfortable where they were. See, when they came into the, uh, Egypt, they were a tribe, a family of approximately 75-ish people. 75, 80, less than 100. But you fast forward a couple of generations after Joseph is gone, and they are now a nation of over one million people. That's pretty crazy, y'all. They liked each other a lot. So they've gone to this big nation of over a million people. They increased and they flourished and they got comfortable. They settled in Egypt. Exodus 1 says this, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And you know the story. After they get comfortable, we begin to see things become a little bit more challenging for them. Pharaoh decides he's going to make the, the nation of Israel his slaves. And then all of a sudden, a once flourishing and blessed people find themselves in bondage. Now I want to say something. There is nothing wrong with living a comfortable life, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be on our guard that we don't allow our comfortability to, in one place to become where we want to stay. Because eventually we will become enslaved to a lifestyle. In fact, I would dare say that many of us find it easy to become so comfortable with the life that we live in America on planet Earth that we give no thought to where we're going. Now, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in the 70s, but grew up in the 80s. And I remember that, like, we had a whole lot of teaching about the coming of the Lord. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Anybody remember the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey? Anybody remember the thief in the night? That scared me to death when I was in junior high. <laughs> Afraid I was going to wake up one morning and somebody's electric razor was going to be running in the sink and, you know, everybody's gone. If you haven't seen it, go look it up on YouTube. You're in for a treat, okay? Um, it's there. But we, we, we and I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit further into my generation. In the 90s, we had the Left Behind novels. Remember those? And so the coming of the Lord was always kind of at the forefront of our mind. And we thought a lot about those things, but we were more afraid about being left behind than we were looking forward to where we were going. So I want to encourage you this morning that we cannot get to the place where we are so comfortable with where we are in this church in Rockford, Illinois, in America, on earth, that we forget that God has another destiny in mind for us. He's got a place that he wants to take us. 
And, and, we, and we go, oh, well, that's just pie in the sky. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm talking about heaven. Amen. Eternity with the Lord. Paul thought so much about it that he would write this. He said, no eye has seen or ear heard or the heart of man has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you really holding on to? What is so great about this place that we've forgotten where God is taking us? It's time for us to get uncomfortable. And it's time for us to be led out of bondage that we put ourselves in. So back to my original line of thought, we can look at Moses' life and we can see that it's divided up into three periods of time, basically, and they're all kind of divided by 40 years. So you read the story and you're in, the, in, in Exodus and you see Moses, he's born, he's brought up out of the water and, and, and taken into uh, Pharaoh's daughter's house and he's raised as, as a prince of Egypt. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I watched the Ten Commandments a lot when it was on uh, ABC, like I think it was Easter Sunday night is when they played it a lot of time back in the day. And my parents had copies of it on you know, video and stuff like that. So that was a movie that we had seen a number of times growing up. And that story is a great story, but they don't quite get it right. See, they, the way they tell the story is that Moses was hiding in the palace and nobody knew who he was. No, everybody knew who Moses was. Everybody knew that Moses was taken out of the water. He was an Israelite and he was living as, as a child in the palace. He was brought up in comfort, had everything that he could ever want handed to him. And so we, we get through and we fast forward to this, this part of his life. And, and, you know, we, I always thought of this, him being like a really young man, like, you know, 20 years old or something like that. And, and he's getting ready to see, go and see his people. No, y'all, he's 40. He's 40 years old when he goes down to observe what's happening to his people. Now I'm going to be 43 in, in, in a, cu a couple of months and I'm going, okay, so Moses' first part of his life just really began when he turned 40, Right? So you know the story, Moses goes and he, and he kills an Egyptian who was beating one of the Israelites and he hides the body and then later on he's confronted with the truth and instead of having to, to face up to it, he goes and he leaves and he runs off to Midian and he finds a wife and he has a family and he settles down. Guess how long he was in Midian? 40 years. So he got comfortable again in that phase of his life. And then you know the story. He's out in the desert taking care of sheep, doing the thing that shepherds do, and all of a sudden he sees a bush on fire, but it's not burning. And God calls him. Guess how old he was? 80 years old. When God called him to be a deliverer. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's not the way I would have done things. Let me, let me clue you in on something. God's timetable and his methods will never line up with yours. You can go ahead and put that second point up too. His ways do not line up with ours. God does not work that way. He doesn't, he doesn't consult me with how I think things should be done. Although I always have an opinion. Listen, if God is anything, God is patient. God will allow things to brew and simmer and cook down to when the timing is right. How do you remember thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up? 
Two of you? <laughs> How many of you thought that you wouldn't figure that part out till you're 80? I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? Hey, if you're getting close to 80, look at somebody and say, I ain't done yet. I'm just getting started. But that's how God works. He doesn't do things the way that we think they ought to be done. We quoted this verse earlier. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and that's, that's, we have to see that. We have to understand that. So, and, and going back into that point of God's ways don't often line up with ours. Let's think about Moses for a minute. Moses was not the right man for the job. Especially when you consider all the exterior factors. He'd killed somebody. He was a murderer. He didn't face the consequences. He ran away, left his countrymen. He probably didn't think too much about the situation that was going on with his, with his people until all of a sudden God showed up in a burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have thought that would have happened, if I was out there, I'd be thinking, did I eat something really weird when I heard that bush start talking to me? When I was uh, a few years back, I was driving on a long drive back to Oklahoma and God was talking to me about some different things. And, and he got very plain with me about what he wanted me to do. And I argued with God and I said, surely God, you didn't say that. I know I just had a burrito from Taco Bell on the side of the road. That's the burrito talking. And God said, no, I'm telling you, this is the things that I want you to do. And he laid out a plan for me. And, and you know what? God brought all those things together. He did it in ways that I couldn't have expected or made happen myself if I tried. But Moses, he tried to even talk God out of it. He said, God, I can't speak. The people won't listen to me. They won't believe me when I tell them that you told me to do this. You know, Moses was the ultimate example of an introvert. I mean, think about this. Moses is, is, is going to go, he's been told that he's going to be the deliverer of the people, but he never actually even says a word to the people. Hey, he's got Aaron with him. Hey, Aaron. And then Aaron tells the people what God said. That had to be weird. But God still sent him, and he still led the people out. It wasn't easy, but it happened. And the Bible is filled with a whole lot of other examples outside of the story. So let me highlight a few of them for you. This is some of the weird stuff that God does to accomplish his purposes. We fast forward um, a few years to Jericho. The children of Israel going in to take back the, the, the land of Canaan. And God says, hey, I, I want you to go march around this city seven days in a row. Don't say a word. Don't have your, your weapons or anything. Just march. Just march around this thing. And uh, on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And then when you get done with the seventh time, I want you to scream as loud as you can. And then the walls are going to fall down. What? That sounds ridiculous. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a, a person living in Jericho watching that happen? What are those people doing? They have lost their ever-loving mind. Or as we say in the South, bless their hearts. <laughs> David was selected as the king. He was the youngest in his family. It wasn't worth much in society. But what did God say to Samuel? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. One of my favorite stories is Naaman, 
The general coming over because he's got leprosy and he goes to see the man of God, Elisha, and he's expecting, this is like, you know, going to like a healing crusade. He's expecting there to be this, this big, you know, production because you know how us charismatics like to do. We feel if we scream as loud as we can and shake people while we pray that all of a sudden that's going to make God hear us. Elisha doesn't do that. In fact, Elisha doesn't even talk to Naaman. He sends his servant out and says, hey, Naaman, why don't you go take a bath? That's not exactly how he said it, but that's, that's my vernacular of saying, he said, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River for seven times and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. That's crazy. I've been in a few rivers where I thought I was going to come out with something, not coming out with healing. That's nuts though, but God did it. Peter was the leader of the disciples, an uneducated fisherman, leads a revolutionary movement after Jesus ascends to heaven. And Peter, that, that wasn't the only time that God did something weird with Peter. Anybody remember when Peter went to prison? Peter's in prison, he's got, they got a church meeting happening somewhere, and they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. And so what happens? God gets him out of prison. An angel gets him out, he walks up to the house, knocks on the door. A little girl answers the door, Rhoda, and says, Oh, it's Peter. So she doesn't let Peter in. She goes and tells everybody, hey, Peter's here. Like, no, 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 honey. We're praying for Peter to get out. He's not here yet. No, listen, y'all. Peter's here. Why do we act like we, we don't are surprised when we pray and God moves? Paul, the writer of the New Testament, most of the New Testament was very learned and educated as a scholar, but he persecuted the Christian movement and then after encountering Christ, became one of the movement's most beloved writers and leaders. Should have had no business doing that. But God had a different plan. In fact, he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 1 that really sum up some of this stuff and it's going to kind of bring us back to, to, to another place where God did something unfathomable and unthinkable to accomplish his will it says this the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent where is the wise where is the scribe where is the disputer of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of this world for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Can somebody say amen? amen? And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, not that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. In verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God does those things so that we can't take the credit.
I like being on the winning side, and I like feeling like I played my part. But really, sometimes the part God wants me to play is just stand still and know that I'm God. Jesus' death on the cross and and his resurrection is the ultimate example of God using methods outside of how we would have done it. Doesn't make any sense. One man to die for all? But that's how God did it. In my my devotion time right now, the Old Testament part, I'm in Leviticus. How many of you know Leviticus is sometimes a chore to read? Let's, be, let's just be real. I, I know I shouldn't feel bad about scripture that I read, but Leviticus is just, it's, it's difficult for me because it says a lot of the same things over and over again and it, and it gives you, how many of you know that God was really specific in the book of Leviticus about what he was looking for? And you know, honestly, when you read that book, you go, man, there is no way I can live up to that. So what did God do? He sent Jesus. Who did live up to all that. And then said, you can be holy because I'm holy. That's a pretty amazing thought. But you know, many moments of Jesus' ministry on earth were also outside of the norm. A blind man was healed with mud made from his spit. That's crazy. Lazarus was raised to life after being dead for four days. Who does that? Jesus is on his way to to see someone who's sick and dying. And in the middle of all that, he's in a crowd and a woman pushes her way through and just touches the hem of his garment and she's made whole. And instead of just like going on, he stops and ministers to her. Who does that? Especially in like the celebrity type cult of things. We just keep going. And then as he's still on the way to the house, they come out and say, hey, you don't need to come. She's already dead. Leave, you know, leave us be. You, you, you missed it, Jesus. You blew it. Anybody ever thought God blew it? You blew your chance, Jesus. You could have healed her and she was, could have been alive still, but she's gone. And Jesus said, hey, not dead she's asleep hey jesus you're nuts that's what they said he's crazy and he goes in tells her to get up what happens she gets up pretty amazing that's not how i would have done things but god does things differently than i do god really moves when things get uncomfortable I'm barely scratching the surface here, but I think I can easily say to anyone listening to my voice, if God can use those people to deliver and heal and preach and pray, what is stopping him from using you? A few years ago, Matthew West wrote a song called Do Something. I want you to listen to these lyrics. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now and thought, how do we ever get so far down and how's it ever going to turn around? I turned my eyes to heaven and thought, God, why don't you do something? 
And people, uh, well, I just, I couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty or children sold into slavery. And the thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. That put some responsibility on me. I got to do something. So the answer to my previous question is simple. What's stopping God from using us is us. It's me. I'm in the way. Folks, time is running out. When are we going to stop being comfortable and reach beyond ourselves and preach the gospel to a lost and dying world? It's not just my job because I went to Bible college. It's not just my, God, my job because I have a reverend and I'm ordained and all those things. It's all of our jobs. When Jesus left this earth to ascend to heaven, he said, go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. He didn't just say it to those 12 guys. He said it to us, the church. We have a responsibility. Now, am I saying that you need to get up on a milk cart, uh, uh, like a, a soapbox, and get out and preach on the corner? Maybe. Maybe not. What is God asking you to do? What I'm saying is you need to open your ears and your heart to what God is asking you to do and then do it. This could be as simple as picking up the phone and calling somebody. Now, I know the people in my children's age group, they don't want to call people. They're like, if you call me, I'm not answering. And if you leave me a voicemail, I'm certainly not calling you back. That's the way the young people operate these days. I, I don't get it, but they like text. You can reach out and text somebody. You can make somebody some food. You can, you can just even send somebody a card. You can do all sorts of things to reach people. You, hey, you can actually go and talk to your neighbors. Now listen, I know that we're in a pandemic, but, but a pandemic does not remove a responsibility that we're on our way out of here. And we need to take some people with us. There's a lot of room on this ship that we're going to be getting on. And you know what? You're also not exempt because you have to wear a mask in public. You know what? You can smile underneath that mask. Because people can see the countenance. When you smile, there's a countenance about you. There should be something that people see. I don't do most of the grocery shopping for our family, but I do go and pick up things from time to time. And, and, and we live over here off of Alpine and Harrison. And there's a little grocery store there, a Save-A-Lot store. And I, always, I just go in there two or three times a week and pick up a few things. And you know what? I, one of the things I try to do, I'm not, I'm not trying to like puff myself up. I'm just giving you something practical, okay? I try to talk to the people who work there and call them by name. Because they're in my neighborhood. And if they're going to do okay, I'm going to do okay. And you know how many people in Rockford especially are just mean? So be different. And they might look at you and go, man, what in the world is the matter with you? Why are you so happy? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. 
Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. There's a reason why I'm happy. It's time for the church to get uncomfortable. And see what God does as we obey what He's called us to do. Don't become comfortably numb to the world around you. Instead of checking out, engage with your community. That could also be easily saying, your family. Talk to your family. Have dinner as a family every so often. And talk. Stay engaged in your neighborhood. Stay engaged in your job. Not just like your job, but what I have to do, but the people that are around me. I'm not saying that you need to get involved in their drama and their gossip and all that kind of stuff, but I'm saying take time to minister to the people who are around you. Don't be so comfortable that you become callous to the thought that the people you know are headed to destruction, but there's a better way. So as we begin to kind of wrap some things up today and and close, I want you to think about some things and I'm going to ask you some questions. So if you have your bulletin on the backside of your bulletin, there are places where you can write some things down. I want you to write down these three things. And then I also, this is not going to be a rhetorical time. I want you to answer them. You You don't even necessarily have to answer them right in this moment. This is something you can ponder and then think about and write answers to as you, as you pray later on. Number one, What are some practical ways that I can impact someone else? Number two, what has God given me a burden for or asked me to do? And then number three, what am I doing about it? It's great to be called, but if you don't do anything, what's the point? James told us if you listen to the word but don't do it, you're fooling yourself. All right, so here's a practical thing as as something you can think about. Anybody who knows me well knows that I love to to barbecue, smoke meat, okay? Love to cook meat. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, you know, when you you go to cook something in a a smoker, you do it, they call it low and slow. You don't don't just throw a big, you know, pork shoulder in there and expect that it's going to be done in 30 minutes. No, it's going to take at least... 12 to 14 hours. There's going to be some time invested in there because as it cooks low and slow, it causes all the the things that are in the meat, the seasonings, the fat and the juices and all that stuff to begin to break it down so that whenever you, you, you know, it's done when you can reach in there and you pull the shoulder bone just out and you don't even have to try, you know, it's done. And how many of you know, that's when the good stuff happens because then you get to eat and it's good. But it takes time. I said this in in the first service this morning, and I want to reiterate it for for us. Don't let the fact that some of you have been in the oven for a while keep you from thinking that God isn't going to use you. 
But also don't let the fact that you've only been in for a few minutes thinking that you can't be used either. All right? Maybe, just maybe, God wants to break some things down in you so that you can be savory. Thursday night, we were, we were singing a song. Um, it's one of my favorite songs. I don't lead it very often in a worship setting just because it's, it's really kind of contemplative in nature. Um, but there's, there's a part of it that just really kind of helps me focus on why we do what we do. But it says, uh, I want to... I'm going to sing kind of this over you as, and I want you to listen to the words. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. And if the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned to dark, darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. And if you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart and everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. God thought so much of all of us and He knew the state that we were in. He decided to do something about it. So this morning I wanted to encourage you, if you see something that's going on around you, you know people that don't have Christ you know people are headed in a direction that, that, that is for destruction. Don't just wait. Do something about it. Do something about it. Remember this. Moses wasn't special. Everybody wants to be special. We've been told all of our lives how special we are. Moses was not special. Moses was available. Stop thinking that you have to be perfect before God can use you. 
Stop thinking that you have to have all of your life figured out and know where you're going to college and what you want to be when you grow up and, and, and where, what kind of house you want to live in and, and all the, the things that you feel like you've got to have and just say, God, I'm available. Sometimes the greatest work God does is when people are just available. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Maybe you're in a place today where you are so comfortable with life that you have on this earth that you don't pay any mind to what your eternity will look like. Maybe you've drifted away today and you've lost your first love. If that's you today, you can make a change. You can surrender your life to Jesus Christ today and you can know where you're going for your eternity. If that's you today... I, I want to invite you this morning to make a change. Turn from where you've grown cold and make a new commitment today to draw closer to the Lord. James said, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So as our heads are bowed this morning, we're thinking about this stuff. If you this morning are saying, I need to surrender my life to Jesus so I can turn away from the place that I was headed, that destructive place I was going. I want to make a new thing today. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I see some. Any others? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. You're just making an acknowledgement today that you want to make a decision to, to have Christ as your Savior by surrendering your life to Him, allowing Him to be the Lord of your life. Anybody else? All right, I see another. All right, let's say this prayer together as a congregation. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making a way for me to be saved from my own destruction. Lord, I surrender my life to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Make me new. Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Thank you for new life. Now, if you're also here today, you go, okay, I'm saved. You're not off the hook. If you would if say, God has given me something to do, but I'm afraid to step out and do it. And I need, I need some encouragement today. I need to take some steps today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. A number of you. A number of you today. Maybe you're also in a space and you go, I want to know what God wants me to do, but I'm not sure what to do yet. If that's you, lift your hand also. We could pray for clarity today too. Thank you, God. Can we stand together? We're all going to pray together. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I just want us to agree together this morning that God is going to do something in us today. Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you today that you have called each and every one of us to a purpose. You've got something for each of us to do. And it, we don't have to make something grandiose 
happen. We just have to be available. And so, Lord, today we're saying we are available. We are available to you to do whatever you want to do today. So, God, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us dreams. You would give us vision. You would show us the things that we can do even in the simplest moments to reach this world. God, I thank you for what you are doing. And I thank you for what you've done. And I thank you for what you're going to do. God, I can't wait to hear testimonies of how you turn things around. And how you bring deliverance to people as we minister. You've equipped us to do so. So Lord, I pray by the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit today that we would not walk in a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a sound mind that gives us boldness to be able to love the way you loved. And I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. One last thing I want to reiterate. Uh, Pastor Patrick mentioned at the beginning of service that there's an evangelism class that's going to be taking place uh, for the next eight weeks starting this Saturday. If you're going, I don't even have a clue where to start when it comes to things like personal evangelism, this will be a great time for you to come and be discipled in this. It's going to be led uh, by Bill Johnson and Janet Droy and some other people in the community. And uh, so that'll be here on Saturdays at nine o'clock here in the sanctuary and uh, be glad to help you get equipped with practical ways that you can uh, be an evangelist. All right. Thank you guys for being here today. We love you. Looking forward to seeing all of you again the next time we gather together. Be safe out there. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.